0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his hometown to register. and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would address us through this very familiar story and address our deepest needs. (coughs) Lift us up and remind us of your sovereignty over our present circumstances and enable us to trust you in them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we're going to hit three huge themes in application from this very familiar text. I ask you first, do you feel small and insignificant? At the outset I would like to say, you are far more insignificant than you ever thought you were. (laughs) Got your attention there, didn't I? I remember when I was uh, was young, my older brother was in high school, my oldest brother Bill, and for some reason this poem stuck in uh, my mind when he uh, wrote something for an English class. The title of the poem was Man, and it opened with, oh, infinitesimal speck of dust. I still remember saying, I thought, whoa, what a downer. Well, have you ever been to one of those astronomy shows and seen the universe bigger and bigger, more and more expansive? We are an infinitesimal speck of dust. You are far more insignificant than you ever thought you were. But here's the thing. God does his greatest work in the least places. (coughs) Secondly, do you know that God is sovereign over your circumstances? We say that, do you really know that? We're going to look at this passage at God's sovereign hand over the highest powers, doing what he did in going to work in the most insignificant place. And lastly, ask you how you respond. When you really think about God being sovereign over all of your circumstances, and you're not liking your circumstances right now, what does that make you think of God? We'll put it before you the subject of the others who lived in this little town of Bethlehem. Now, ask: How would you have felt if you lived there, especially if you had a son two years old or younger? You know where I'm going there. We'll talk about our response to God's sovereign hand in our suffering. So first, let's look at God's greatest work. In the least places. We're going to start at the in the last two verses of our passage and then kind of work backwards. Verses six and seven. While they were there, Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them. In the end. This little town of Bethlehem, we're so used to it, we're so familiar with it, we think it's it's the greatest place in the world. It is so insignificant that in Joshua 15, when all the cities of Judah were listed, 46 of them, Bethlehem was left out. It was really invisible, really insignificant. You come to church this morning feeling that way. Perhaps not. Perhaps now you're riding high on things that will, over the years and decades, slip from your fingers. We have to deal (coughs) with this in in the end. Bethlehem was, was that insignificant. And besides that, when Mary and Joseph got there, it wasn't even room for them there. Now, they didn't have a holiday inn in Bethlehem. It, it, it was not, we think of the inn. That there was a regular traveling place for visitors. It must have been like a bed and breakfast where there was somebody that would take people in. And you know, there might have already been you know, five or six people that showed up in Bethlehem and all the rooms were taken. This, this was not a big place. It didn't take many people coming home to fill up all the the homes that were available to take people in. But the uh, owner of the home that they went to said, look, I've got a place. I've got a a place where I keep my animals. And he looked at Mary about to give birth. I've got to do something and let her have that, that stable. Now, Justin Martyr lived from 100 to 165 A.D., one of the early church fathers. He remarked on Bethlehem and said that the stable was not the wooden construction that we like to romanticize. We have a nativity scene at home that's made out of olive wood from Bethlehem. And that's special. They're all over the place. As it looks sweet and it looks nice. It has a little light that'll come on it at night, and, and so the major scene, and, and we just we romanticize it. Justin Martyr said it was a cave. He lived in Rome. He may have traveled. I don't know. I don't know enough about him to know if he traveled to uh, Israel, to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, or he knew people going back and forth, but he was familiar enough to know that uh, they had caves in that area, and so the people built their house, and they you know, find a, a hole in the wall. Literally, it was a hole in the wall where Jesus was born, along with the donkeys. You, you don't get more insignificant than that. And Justin Martin wrote this, Thus, the Son of God humbled himself to be born in a cave housing animals in a town so small and insignificant that when the land was distributed it was not even mentioned among the 46 cities of Judah. And yet, God does His greatest work in these least places. The reason it's right for us to glory in Bethlehem and even in the manger is because God was at work there. This is a general theme in Scripture. We could just say, well, it's isolated in this passage. Yes, God did this for Bethlehem. I still feel small in insignificant. There's nothing special about my life. But Jesus said a widow who gave her two pence, she gave more than everybody else because she gave all she had. He gloried in the small things. Paul writes to the Corinthians in the first chapter. Now let's turn to uh, 1 to Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand the miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Let's go on down to verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Some were This is not an exclusion. This isn't class warfare. It's just, that's not the point. Not many were influential. Some were, but that's not the point. That's not what's important. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, that him who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, God does his greatest work in the least places, and that includes us. It's not just Bethlehem, but it is certainly demonstrated in Bethlehem. Secondly, consider God's sovereign hand at work to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. And yet, the the Old Testament in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, as we read earlier in the service, prophesied that Bethlehem would be the place where the ruler would come. Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Messiah. It was the city of David. The Messiah would be the line of David. There's so many prophecies that that come together in this image. We couldn't possibly comprehensively cover them. But I just want you to realize how extraordinary it is that if God promises Bethlehem, what he had to do to make it happen. As Mary and Joseph lived up in Nazareth, there's a kind of prophecy that's fulfilled there that I would say is the... Uh, correspondence, the, the just as kind of prophecy. Put your thinking hats on for a second and let me uh, give you a little bit of Bible study. There are three ways, at least three ways, that Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled. One is just like when such and such, now this fulfills that. That's what's going on uh, here. In uh, Matthew it talks about uh, uh, Joseph and Mary being from Nazareth, it says, and so the scriptures say, so is fulfilled what the scriptures said. he will be called a Nazarite. That's not really referring to the town, but the Hebrew consonants correspond. Just like it says, he's a Nazarene. You can say, I'm not impressed with that kind of prophecy fulfillment. We can always say just as. We'll come to one later when we look at the weeping and wailing in rama. Just as in Jeremiah. When Jeremiah is talking about God. Uh, bringing uh, judgment. On, on the people of Israel. And taking them off in captivity. The context is Jeremiah saying. He will bring you back. He will bring you back. There's hope. God will redeem you. You'll come home. But now. There is weeping and wailing in Ramah. Because her children are no more. Jeremiah is talking about. The loss of the exile of Babylon. When the Babylonians come to Jerusalem. And take them off in captivity. Jeremiah is not really thinking. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. It's a prophecy about the exile. But the fulfillment of that prophecy is when Matthew says. Just as it is written. There will be weeping and wailing bitterness in Ramah. Just as. Now, the cycle of our sin, the consequence of sin, God's redemption and His lifting us up is a a cycle that happens over and over. We should resonate with that. And frankly, I'm applying to you this kind of fulfillment of Scripture. Just as Bethlehem was insignificant in your life, if you're feeling low and insignificant, and that's no count. God does His greatest work in the insignificant and He lifts you up. You see, the corresponding saying is you're far more insignificant than you thought you were, is yes, but in God's eyes, you are far more significant than you dare to dream or imagine. Because God loved you so much that He sent His eternal Son into the world to give His life for you. To open the glories of heaven to you. That's how significant you are. But for God to accomplish all of this, he has to be sovereign over history. Look at what happened in Bethlehem. We go to the first verses in chapter 2. It begins with the highest powers of the day. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus was the highest power there was in those days. No one higher. And Caesar Augustus wasn't reading the Bible thinking, I need to fulfill these scriptures. God is just sovereign over the highest power. So that Caesar Augustus, without his even being aware, is carrying out the will of God. God's hand is all over this. And he decrees that he'll take a census and all the world will have to go and, and register. It will be for a tax in the end. That's what the Romans did. That's what Caesar's agenda was. But God's agenda was higher. He knew, he promised that he would bless Bethlehem. Bethlehem would not be the least of the cities. It would be the birthplace of the Messiah. So he does this through Caesar Augustus to St. Joseph and Mary. To Bethlehem. If God can be sovereign over Caesar to accomplish such a thing, is He not sovereign over every area of your life? Now that's actually a hard pill to swallow. If you're at a low point in life this Christmas, if you're wondering about your significance, if you're wondering about how well you are received, if you're lonely, if you're uh, feeling rejected, if you're having trouble at work or have been fired, or you're, you're, you're looking for work, if you're well, whatever it is, do you recognize that God is sovereign over those circumstances? That He has His hand in every detail? If that's true, and it is true, the next question is how do you respond? tells you that there there are three kinds of prophecies the one is the just as the correspondence the second one is Jesus reading the scriptures knowing the scriptures as a 12 year old he astounded the leaders in the temple and Jesus would say in order that the scriptures be fulfilled I'm going to do this he went to John the Baptist and John the Baptist said I shouldn't be baptizing you. I need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, let's do this in order that the scriptures be fulfilled. <clears throat> Jesus could read the scriptures, set about to fulfill them. And he'd say, that's not, if you're a skeptic, say, that's not very impressive. Any cult leader can read the scriptures, and then go about trying to fulfill them somewhere. way. To consider the birth in Bethlehem, and God controlling Caesar, In such a way that Caesar, unbeknownst to himself, sent Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. You cannot choose where you're born. Nobody can read the scriptures to say, we're going to fulfill the scriptures. It's no self-fulfilling prophecy. Our theme in this series is for unto us, a child is born in Bethlehem, David's town. This newborn king from Judah's tribe, specific birthplace, Prophesied. Could Jesus try to self fulfill the scriptures by his words and will? Can one control where one is born? Nazareth was Mary's home. God's sovereign hand on full display did move in Caesar to survey his citizens in each hometown. So Joseph and Mary journeyed down to Bethlehem on Christmas morning, where unto us a child was born. Oh, you could celebrate it about Jesus' birth. But if you saw it under your circumstances, how are you responding? Consider the other families in Bethlehem. You know what happened when Herod found out. We're going to talk about Herod more next week. But this week, I want you to look at Herod from the perspective of the other citizens of Bethlehem. Herod came and killed all the children. Up through the age of two, God warned Joseph and Mary uh, that He was going to do this, so they fled to Egypt to take Jesus the baby uh, with them. But in this fallen world, there is much suffering that falls all around. That's the weeping and waiting that is just like in Jeremiah's day. And there is weeping and waiting. There's weeping and waiting in the same place, in the same territory, because your children were not born. What are the circumstances in your life that God is allowing? If you're really mad at somebody because they've hurt you, if you're really mad because some circumstance has turned against you, if you're really upset, etc., 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 bottom line, who are you upset at? If God is sovereign over all the circumstances, Are you willing to recognize you're upset at him? You're mad at him. We don't often go there because then we start having to wait a minute, I need to trust him. It's Job's test. Well, I just want to personalize this for you by drawing you into the innkeeper's story. In 1995, I mean, excuse me, 2005, 2006, and 2007, I wrote three Christmas stories: the Innkeeper's story, the Psalter's story, which we'll do next Sunday night at the Christmas concert, and the shepherd's story. Let me share with you the innkeeper story. This is kind of like a you were there view of history, where all the events and facts are true. Grant the premise that's hypothetical that Joseph and Mary themselves had a baby. Just like Jesus. That's not so far fetched. That might be why uh, he, uh, the innkeeper uh, looked at Joseph and Mary and thought, she's about to have a baby, and had compassion on them and provided a place in his stable. Consider their story, consider your circumstances, and realize that if we just look at the little picture, it can be great suffering. And we can be angry with God, but when we realize the big picture of what God suffered on our behalf, and when He opens up to us in glory, that big picture blows away our small picture and these, us to trust in Him. My name is Jacob. I own an inn in the little town of Bethlehem. Some three and thirty years ago, a young man came to my front door with his betrothed to seek a room. I had to tell him I had none. Caesar's census had us all overbooked. Then I saw that his betrothed was great with child. She looked like she that very night might give birth. I called my wife, who also was expecting. I could not turn them away at all. I took them back to our donkey stall. Among her donkeys she gave birth. She cried, The Son of God, come to earth. Some shepherds from fields nearby came, came from fields nearby where they were watching sheep that night. They said an angel appeared to them and told them, Go to Bethlehem to find the Savior, Christ the Lord. The strangest part, they said that they would find Him in a manger blade. I took them back to our donkey stall, where they knelt down to Mary's child. My wife gave birth to our own son. No shepherds came to visit him, but we, of course, thought him the best, cute, smarter than the rest. Joseph found just down the road a house for rent, and there they moved I heard that Magi from the east came and brought him royal gifts. They called him king. When they were gone, so were Joseph, wife, and son. Then one day, soldiers came to town. By Herod orders, swords outdrawn. Who dares lay claim to Herod's throne? I knew they wanted Joseph's son. They came to each and every home. They took our son and murdered him. Oh, the grief in my wife's face that our son, our son died in his place. The bitterness lay all around our wretched town of Bethlehem. Cursed be the one who came and brought this misery in his name. I never will until I die. Forgive that Joseph. Or his wife. And then three years ago there came a prophet in Elijah's name. A voice called in the wilderness, Make way for the king of righteousness, repent and turn your hearts to him who gives forgiveness for your sin. But I will not go out to him. I had no sin to be forgiven. Twas I who had been sinned against. Tis God who owes me penitence. He allowed our misery when Herod issued his cruel decree to kill the sons of Bethlehem. And our child died an innocent. I took them in, I gave them room, but they escaped, and we were ruined. I never will, until I die, forgive that Joseph or his wife. My wife fell ill, as unto death. She struggled each and every breath. A friend told me that I should ask a prophet come from Nazareth to make her well, and so I did. He looked into her eyes and said, be healed, and I could see her health return immediately. Oh, the look on my wife's face! that she could breathe, we embraced and thanked him for the kindness done. Someone said he was Joseph's son. Could could he be? No. It's insane. The one who caused us so much pain and now they nailed him to a cross. They mock and beat him, all because he claimed to be the Son of God. At his feet, with broken heart, his mother stood. I could see she was the one who came to me through Bethlehem, Joseph's wife, a widow now, and he, the child. Father, forgive them this he cries while he is being crucified. Joseph, be considered blessed that you have died ere seeing this. I see the tears in Mary's eyes, just like the tears in my own wife's when Herod tried to kill him. then, when our son died in Bethlehem. Our son died that he would live to die for sin and me forgive. O oh God, forgive me for my hate toward you, toward Joseph. I await your judgment, yet I find in him your justice satisfied. The Father took and placed on him. The wrath stored up for all my sin. Amazing love. Amazing grace. That God's Son, God's Son died in my place. Don't be like me. Come to Him who came to us in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was was the least. Of the cities of Judah. And the major, the lowest place in Bethlehem, but that was not the bottom, was it? Jesus became obedient, even to death, on that cross. He went down to pay for our sin, that in Him we can be raised up to glory forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us the big, picture. When we feel small, let us know your great work. When we are suffering, let us know that you are sovereign even over that. And that in the biggest picture, you will take us through this fallen world and into the glories of heaven and the world to come that could never, taken away because of what you have done through your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.